Today, we have the privilege of hearing from an epidemiologist. And if you don't know what that word means, you will by the end of this podcast. We're gonna be joined by Dr. Ann Kimmerlein, who joined VCA hospitals as their veterinary epidemiologist in the summer of 2018. She actually came from the shelter medicine world where she worked in several different shelters and uh, has some really fun stories to share with us about that. She's been involved with a lot of research and she has a very special degree, a master's degree in preventative medicine, which is specifically for veterinarians wanting to be more knowledgeable about epidemiology. There's that word again, and uh, public health. So we're gonna hear from Dr. Kimmerlein and we're gonna hear a little bit about why she thinks VCA is one of the best places to work. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So everybody um, has spent the last few years thinking about the pandemic, talking about the pandemic, being worried about the pandemic. Um, and it's and it's been really hard. It's been really hard on Americans. It's been really hard on uh, the veterinary practice in particular, um, just some of the challenges that came with managing COVID and um, the operational shifts that needed to happen to bring pets in to see the veterinarian. So it's, it's been really, really difficult, but we haven't heard a lot about the point of view from an epidemiologist. And can you just take a couple of moments here and first of all, explain what an epidemiologist is and what was it about epidemiology that excited you and why'd you pursue it? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's funny when I, when I started this position at VCA, I'm, I'm their first veterinary epidemiologist. Um, so I, I came into a role that had just been created, but um, I really got to do a lot of forming of this position uh, myself, which has been really exciting. Um, but when I came into this role in 2018, I, I spent a lot of time in the beginning explaining what an epidemiologist is. Um, you know, people were like, epidemi, what? You know, and, uh, you know, as, as the pandemic has gone on, people are now very familiar with that word. But I, I do think still... It's kind of one of those, um, you know, those titles that people have are familiar with. They've heard of it, but they don't really understand what it is. Um, and that's that's nobody's fault because epidemiology is this really broad study of. Um, it's got a little bit of public health in there, a little bit of research, um, some infectious disease, sometimes chronic disease. You know, sometimes it's human medicine, sometimes it's veterinary medicine. Um, it's really, it's really the study of how diseases of any kind move through populations. So you could even have like a, a plant epidemiologist, um, if you know, if you're into that, because <laughs> we have populations of plants, right, where that where diseases can move through them, just like in people and animals. Um, so that's the that's the really broad definition of it. And then, you know, each epidemiologist kind of gets into their their own specialty. And so um, with VCA, my specialty is obviously uh, veterinary medicine. Um, you know, VCA does primarily companion animal or pet veterinary medicine. Um, so that's my focus. I um, I try to support our hospital teams and our veterinarians um, as much as I can with whatever they need. Um, I, 
I try to figure out how we can use all of the information that goes into our medical records that they spend time entering, you know, every day um, to to try to answer some of the, you know, currently unanswered questions in veterinary medicine so that we can really, really, you know, make sure we're practicing the best we can um, and continually improve that practice. So that's really interesting. So basically what you're telling us is that you are the secret weapon that VCA has for all of their patients because most um, veterinarians don't have immediate access to an epidemiologist, but you're able to support all the hospitals in the VCA network. And so when issues come up, um, particularly in a different type of geographical region of the country, you're really able to sort of zone in on those issues and you can really be of tremendous value to the frontline doctors who are seeing patients coming into VCA hospitals. So that's really cool. It's, it really is like your, you know, super sleuth behind the scenes superstar. That's very exciting. So I don't think people knew that this was, uh, this was something that VCA hospitals actually you know, is able to do to provide, you know, what they call world-class medicine and hometown care. And I really love that tagline because, um, you know, a lot of times people, you know, don't realize that VCA usually has practices that were already thriving and doing really well in that community. And so what VCA does is provide more of a infrastructure for that practice to get stronger. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what the world-class and hometown care um, mission is all about for VCA? Yeah, I, you know, I really, I really love those words to describe VCA because it, it really is what I found to be true. So, you know, people like to talk about, you know, corporate medicine and corporate veterinary medicine. And, and I think that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but you know, within VCA, VCA is really, you know, this kind of big conglomeration of all of these small individual community hospitals. All of these hospitals were hospitals before VCA acquired them, you know, where VCA is an acquisition company. And so they, you know, they like to bring in hospitals that are already successful and already uh, really an integrated part of the community into VCA. And those hospitals, you know, of course, there's always a little bit of things that change, you know, as, as hospitals, you know, change leadership or, you know, as they're acquired by VCA, you know, just as things change, you know, as life goes on. So the, the, I won't say that those hospitals don't change at all when they're acquired by VCA, but they do re retain, I'd say the vast majority of their autonomy, autonomy to make decisions and to really be that successful hospital that they already were in that community you know, to remain, you know, the, the hometown veterinarian, you know, down the street, the family veterinarian um, in a lot of cases. Um, and one thing I think that, that really speaks to that at VCA is, um, so I, in my role, I work for medical operations and I work in what we call the support office. And the support office is, is you know, our headquarters, but it's called the support office because we're there only to support our hospitals. That is our goal. And that is what all of us, regardless of our role, you know, me as an epidemiologist, our, our marketing teams, our recruitment teams, our financial teams, you know, legal, 
all of us are there to support our hospitals so that they can do their job, right? So that they can practice the best veterinary medicine that they can. Um, and so that's, that's really part of, I think, the world-class care too, is we, you know, we are this group of these local hometown community hospitals, but together we do get to make up something bigger, right? Something um, where we can start to say, well, how, this hospital is really successful doing whatever it is, right? How, how can we do something like that? Or what would that look like if we tried something similar in our hospital? Um, so we get to start to learn from each other um, and from, you, you know, how our hospitals are successful and, and, and where they're not. And that, you know, that's in medicine, that's in operations, you know, that kind of is across the board. And so I think both of those things, right, the hometown care and the world-class medicine, I think make VCA really unique and, and make us, um, you know, a place where we can, can really care for pets um, beyond what veterinary medicine was able to do tr traditionally. You said, you said something about learning from each other, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, essentially, you're a network of um, hospitals around the country, and, you know, it must be very comforting to know that if your particular hospital is struggling with an issue, there are other hospitals that you can learn from, you can reach out to and get guidance and advice and just commiserate and talk through unique issues and problems in addition to the, the supporting services that you mentioned. So it is, um, it is really very interesting to sort of know this. And I've also heard that VCA has a really strong passion for continuous learning and education. You know, one of the things I've, I've noticed about VCA's culture is that it, it really is immersed in medicine and medical quality and evidence-based medicine leading the way in our decisions, right? And so, I, you know, I've seen that all the way from the hospital level, all the way up through our senior leadership team is that from the very beginning, you know, VCA said, we're going to try to always let medicine determine our decisions and how, how we do things. Um, and I, I, that ties in very much with this, you know, continuing education. Um, and VCA has actually built a really strong um, continuing education program for our doctors um, and, and our support staff as well. Um, so it, 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 we have everything from, you know, on, on demand, um, education videos, training programs, and then also um, uh, live hosted CE from, you know, some of the, the most preeminent uh, experts in the veterinary field, um, specifically for our, our VCA hospitals. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, that's kind of part of this idea of world-class care is that, you know, we're, we're really doing everything we can to, to help our doctors and our hospital teams to practice the best, safest, you know, highest quality medicine that they can. And the great thing about that is that the pets win. Now you really started in a, in an area that's really close and dear to my heart, which is shelter medicine. And so you started originally after you left vet school you started working in a couple of different animal shelters and you love to do high volume spay neuter surgeries, which is fantastic. What was it about shelter medicine that drew you in initially? You know, was there, 
you know, did you have a relationship with a shelter before you went to vet school or how did that emerge for you? So I, I went into vet school thinking that I would either go into equine practice or, you know, production, large animal medicine, um, which is obviously not what happened. Um, my family, we had always had um, dogs and cats that we had adopted from the shelter. We, we, when I was four years old, we got a, a Bureau of Land Management donkey that we adopted um, who had been a wild donkey and um, she was quite lovely. And um, she actually, we didn't know this at the time, um, she was pregnant. And so then we had a baby donkey very soon oh, after too. So we had two donkeys. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise, how fun. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, uh, there's some part of my life that has always been tied to, you know, this idea of, of adoption and rescue and animal sheltering, um, even before I knew really any of those words. Um, but in, in vet school, you know, as I started to think about, okay, what am I going to do when I get done? What, you know, what does this look like? Somewhere along the line, I, you know, I started learning about shelter medicine and, you know, really it wasn't far before I was in vet school where shelter medicine really started becoming its own discipline and its, its own specialty within veterinary medicine um, and really started being appreciated for, you know, really the, the, the specifics and intricacies that are shelter medicine, right? That it's, it's not the same as other disciplines within veterinary medicine. And so I think realizing that really got me excited um, about shelter medicine and, and you know, and, and the ability to give back to a community, right? To my community, wherever that is, because I've, I've moved around, I've moved around a bit since that school. So, you know, that community changes, but, you know, the ability to help that community and give back to that community, both, both the people, but, but also the animals, right? Because they're, we're very intertwined. Um, I think that, that really spoke to me and really drew me in. You've been in both camps. You've worked in a shelter and you know what the challenges are associated with working in a shelter, but then you've also worked in private practice. So you have the point of view that's pretty unique. Um, so talk to us a little bit about where you think the, there are synergies and where the private practitioners and shelter veterinarians really need to come together. Relationships between private practice and shelters are changing and they're not what they were 20 years ago, luckily. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding between shelter veterinarians, you know, um, the rest of the team that works at a shelter, right? And, and private practice veterinarians and, you know, hospital teams. I think there's often, because we tend to go either one way or the other, right? Like, you know, there, there's more and more, there's kind of shifting between private practice and shelter medicine. But you know, we do tend to have this perspective of whichever one we're in at the time. And so I think sometimes it's really hard to put ourselves in the shoes of the other person because, you know, the, the priorities for a shelter vet are just innately different than the priorities for a private practice vet. And that, you know, honestly, that's, that's one of the things that drew me to shelter medicine too, is that it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, this combination of individual animal medicine and individual animal care, but it also has this, you know, this major component of population medicine and, you know, public health and preventative medicine. So you're, you're managing a population while also trying to serve each individual animal. 
Um, and that just means that your decision making is very different than it is in private practice. And so, you know, I, I can I can think of more than one story where you know um, so a veterinarian in the community, or you know, a veteran technician, or someone else at a hospital called the shelter very upset about you know some um, some pet that I had treated or I had not treated or you know, I had made a decision about that they didn't understand. Um, and do I always make the right decision? No, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> like, and do I always see the entire picture? No, I just, you know, just did the best I could with the information I had. And so, you know, sometimes there was nothing I was going to be able to do or say that was going to change their opinion. But, you know, I can think of a few cases where, you know, it's like, okay, who, who is this vet? Can, can I get them on the phone? What's their phone number? You know? And so, and oftentimes when we were actually able to talk about the case and they were able to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking and feeling. This is, you know, and I was able to say, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I, I completely understand where you're coming from. This is where I'm coming from. You know, we didn't, we didn't always agree, <laughs> you know, in the end, but I think it was really helpful to you know, to build those connections. And I, and I know, especially in the world of COVID, that it's really hard, I think. You know, I know both our shelter teams and our hospital teams are just so incredibly busy right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's harder to, to reach out in person. You know, we're not doing our like community CE gatherings or anything like that, that we would have been doing. But, you know, I do think animal sheltering, uh, you know, access to care, animal welfare, these aren't shelter problems, right? They're not, you know, uh, animal shelter and animal rescue problems in and of themselves, they're community problems. And so I think, you know, it, it really, to start to solve them in a big way, it really does take the entire community, right? The, the mm -hmm. private practice veterinarians, the private practice hospitals, and the shelters, you know, each doing their own specific part of the equation to try to start solving some of these issues. Can you tell us a story about, you know, when you think that a partnership between the private sector and the animal welfare sector has, has been very successful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have one that comes to mind immediately. So um, one shelter I worked in, um, it was a, a small community in California. Um, and when I started that job, um, I was the only full-time veterinarian at the shelter, but there was a, a part-time veterinarian who'd been working with the shelter for a long time. And she'd also been a long time member of the community. Um, and she had owned her own practice, her own veterinary practice, you know, for many years beforehand. And so she, you know, she really had some great ties uh, to the veterinary community that I just didn't have as, as a, a, you know, a new person in that community, a new vet, vet in that community and, and working at the shelter. Um, and so, you know, if, if we, we would have some cases that came in, well, in this case, it was an, it was an eye issue. We had a, a litter of puppies and their mom, and they were these like adorable little floofy, you know, like white with some like spots, little, you know, just those like little floofy puppies. And um, one of them, I can't even remember exactly what it was with its eye, but there was something with its eye where we were like, huh, we don't recognize this and we don't know what this is and we don't know whether this is something we need to like really worry about, like, is this gonna get worse? Can we adopt this puppy out? Is it okay? Is it gonna be stable? You know, is this just a congenital thing that it, you know, was born with and it's gonna be fine. 
you know, we as as general practice vets didn't didn't really know that. And so um, luckily, the vet I worked with, uh, she knew the the ophthalmologist that was in the area. And so she was able to call up that ophthalmologist um, who was incredibly generous with her time. Not only did she assess that puppy, whatever it was that was going on with its eye was a congenital issue and wasn't something that was likely to get worse and wasn't something that was likely to, you know, cause problems for that puppy in the future, um, which was great news. But she also ended up taking on this, this mom dog and her puppies, fostering them, finding homes for all of them. I think she kept the mom herself. It just, it ended up being this, this really cool relationship. And she, she actually continued to, to help us with ophthalmology cases. She was so generous with her time. Um, and, and she continued to foster with the shelter as well, um, which was, which was just really cool. It was, you know, a relationship that to me was unexpected. I did, you know, I didn't know her, um, beforehand. Um, and it was just, it was, it turned out to be such, I think a beneficial relationship for both of us. Cause I think she really enjoyed being able to help and give back as well. You could, you know, speak to the private sector. What's the advice that you would offer them to enhance their relationship with shelters? I think, I think my biggest piece of advice would be try not to judge, right? Try not to judge without understanding the bigger picture, right? I think it's, and I I think this goes both ways. I think it's very easy, you know, when you have a specific perspective of veterinary medicine to, to say, oh my God, why did, why would she ever adopt out this animal? Or, you know, why would she euthanize this dog that is this, you know, lovely dog? Um, you know, and this, this is, this is a treatable disease, like, you know, or manageable disease or whatever it is. Like, you know, why, why isn't this shelter treating it? I think it's very easy to, you know, to, to kind of judge based on that without really understanding, uh, you know, all of the complexities that go into those decisions, whether, whether they're made in private practice, right. Or, or in a shelter, um, you know, and I've even done it. I remember, (laughs) so, you know, being a shelter vet, I really had that perspective and I saw it a lot. And I was like, I don't understand why these private practice vets get so upset with me. They don't know what's going on here. They don't understand what it's like to be a shelter vet. I wish they would just talk to me, you know, all of that. And then, you know, I went into private practice for a while, um, before I took this job with VCA. And I remember a dog came in, it had recently been adopted by this lovely family and it was heartworm positive. And it, it came in, you know, the shelter had had started treatment and they had given this, you know, basically like this treatment schedule of like, this is what we want you to continue doing. Um, and so the family brought it into me and I looked at it and I thought, what is this? Like, this is not how you're supposed to treat heartworm. Like, you know, <laughs> what are they doing? Um, and I, it was one of the, the few shelters in the area that I hadn't worked for and didn't have a relationship with. And so, you know, my, my initial reaction was to judge, right? Judge, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is wrong. Um, but I, you know, I had to like kind of immediately be like, okay, you're doing exactly what you don't like everyone else to do. You know, I don't know why they chose that you know, particular treatment regimen. Um, you know, it didn't make sense to me at the time that I'm sure they had a reason. Uh, maybe, maybe they know research. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like maybe they've seen something I haven't seen in the literature. Um, and so, 
you know, in the end I did end up treating, you know, cause the dog came into my care. I ended up treating the dog the way I thought was appropriate, but, um, I just, you know, I really tried not to, not to judge, uh, the veterinarian who had started that treatment and adopted that dog out to that family. Yeah, I can, I, the story that you're sharing is not, um, unfamiliar. I've, I've heard a lot of that. What kind of advice would you give to the shelter veterinarians on the flip side? What, what advice would you give them to work better with private practitioners? I think, you know, I think for whatever reason, the onus is, I think, still a lot on shelter veterinarians to try to make connections within the community. Um, and it may, you know, it probably shouldn't be that way, but, um, I would say don't don't be afraid to ask for help, um, and don't get discouraged when you're told no. You know because because like you mentioned earlier, you know the state of veterinary medicine as it is, people are incredibly busy. Um, you know there's there's just a lot of change happening. You know we're trying to support our veterinarians, we're trying to support our you know support teams, um, and so so not you know, not every private practice hospital is going to be able to do all of the things that a shelter needs or wants of them. But we know there are lots and lots of veterinarians in private practice that want to help out the, the animal sheltering, the animal welfare community. Um, and, you know, in, in both formal and informal ways. And, and actually VCA has, has a program um, that that has a few different ways that, that VCA can, uh, that our hospitals can support local shelters. So VCA actually has a program where our hospitals and our communities can partner with shelters in their communities, um, shelters and, and, and rescue and humane organizations. Um, and, and one of the things that they do for our shelter partners is they provide complimentary new pet exams um, so that, and, you know, an adopter adopts a pet, maybe it comes down with a, you know, upper respiratory infection, which is, you know, as we know, is so common after an animal's been in a shelter, um, that adopter doesn't have to stress about, oh my God, I just adopted this new dog. What am I going to do? They can go, you know, they, they get a voucher and they can go to the VCA hospital and the exam is free. Um, and in a lot of cases, there's actually some specific, you know, specified parts of the follow-up care that are also covered for that adopter. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's one less thing that the shelter has to worry about when they're adopting out an animal, because I know, you know, as a shelter vet, one of the hardest things for me was trying to decide, you know, with medical issues with with a pet, like, is this something I can expect an adopter to take on? And, you know, of course, adopters vary wildly, right? And so there's no way to guess for, you know, each individual person, but you are trying to constantly make these like population decisions. Like, okay, I, th I think most people can handle, you know, an upper respiratory infection that's, that is treatable, it's gonna go away. But can they handle, you know, uh, you know, some sort of chronic kidney issues? Can they handle, you know, uh, a cat with recurrent urinary tract infections, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think, you know, for, for shelter vets, we're constantly thinking about our adopters and, and what we can ask them to take on. And so, you know, having these partnerships with VCA hospitals where, you know, every pet gets this one free exam, I think takes, takes a little bit, not all of that pressure, right. But takes a little bit of that pressure off. 
Um, and it, it also, for shelter vets, it also makes you know that there's an opportunity for this adopter, if they don't already have a relationship with a veterinarian, to form that relationship, right? This It's a, a very easy, clear way for them to do it. Um, VCA also, a, a lot of our hospitals will provide um, discounted care um, for animals before they've been adopted as well. So um, if shelter or rescue groups have a relationship with our hospitals, there there's often... Um, ways where, you know, the, that shelter, that rescue group doesn't have to pay full cost um, at, for, for the services that VCA provides for them. Um, and also I think something a lot of people don't know about, and I didn't know about when I was a shelter vet and worked at a VCA shelter partner, um, there, there also are discounts for shelter employees. Um, through VCA. And I, I don't know all the specifics, so I can't tell them to you here, but um, you know, it's definitely something to look into um, because I think, you know, it's, VCA is really proud of being part of our, the communities that we serve and really proud about, you know, finding ways to, to give back to those communities and, you know, helping our shelters and animal welfare organizations in those communities is part of that. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that's really important to VCA. So it's great that VCA is thinking about ways to say thank you to the employees who work in animal shelters, because, you know, it's a very difficult job and it's, it doesn't come with a lot of perks. So, um, so that's really great to hear. Since you're a veterinarian, I have to ask, do you have any pets? I do. I have one very small, very opinionated dog. Um, I am the rare veterinarian and, and ex-shelter veterinarian who has made it for, I've had her for 13 years. I made it for 13 years with only the one dog. Um, you are a unicorn. <laughs> you are a unicorn. That is, I don't even believe you. So who is this little opinionated creature? Her name is Kiki. Um, she's about seven pounds. I, I actually adopted her from a shelter. Um, I adopted her right before I moved across country to go to vet school, which everybody in my life thought was absolutely insane, um, but ended up being a really nice thing because I, I, I moved to Minnesota actually to go to vet school and I didn't know anyone there. Um, and so having my, my little dog Kiki was like, it was like having a little bit of home with me. So she's um, got like floofy black gray fur on her body, but then her legs have this coarse black fur that almost looks like she's wearing stockings. Um, and her tail is also kind of the same coarse fur, but like longer and it curls up and makes this really cute little like arch over her back. Um, I, I did a DNA test on her at one point uh, and it came back miniature poodle chihuahua right which both were like okay that that makes sense but then it wasn't like it was like unknown was for the other part of it and so you know my my family likes to joke like oh she's got some sort of wild animal in there like that explains <laughs> it <laughs> well she sounds adorable and I love that she went to vet school with you and that she's still a part of your life so that's pretty awesome well, we hope you'll um, come back and talk with us again in the future and keep us up to date with all the good work that VCA is doing. And uh, next time, um, I think we should have Kiki join us. <laughs> 
she has she likes to join in on calls not always in a good way <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much dr kimmerline thank you for everything that you're doing to help make this world better for pets and we'll be talking with you in the future i'm sure thank you thank so you. much yeah thank you so much